The text for this morning's service is from Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. Let's read that once again. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, what kind of shape are you in? I mean this in every sense of the word. What kind of shape are you in? Spiritually, physically, and materially. Are you the kind of person you want to be? Or do you see room for improvement? I think that everyone can agree that there's always a room for improvement. We can always do better. How do you go about that? Well, as the text shows, we are not the author of our own destinies. Ultimately, we do not shape our own lives, nor do other people, nor do circumstances. Who does? Well, God does. He is the one who shapes us. He is the potter. We are the clay. We have a hard time balancing those things those two things out. Often we want to leave God out of the picture and shape our own lives. We think that circumstances can shape our lives or other people or we ourselves. Life is a pot of clay and it depends on man as to what becomes of it. But if that's what you think, then you are mistaken. For that is also what the people of Judah and Israel thought. And do you know what the result was for them? As a nation, God broke them into pieces. He shattered them. He destroyed them. So let us listen to the preaching of God's word as I've summarized it on the following theme. The Lord teaches his people that they are like clay in the potter's hand. And then we will see that the kinds of vessels they become depend in the first place on the power of the potter, secondly, the condition of the clay, and finally, the mercy of the potter. Israel and Judah thought that their destiny was in their own hands. They thought that they would either fall into the hands of Egypt or of Assyria, and that they should do something about that. For those two powers were fighting it out for supremacy. Both powers were in the fight for their lives. And Israel was an insignificant nation and was a mere pawn in the battle of those great nations. The northern kingdom had already been driven into exile, and only the southern kingdom, Judah, was left. And that little nation had no clout in the worldly scheme of things. 
And the biggest problem for Judah, for Judah was how to pick the winning side. And so they played their games of diplomacy and did what they could to stay on the winning side. They wanted to shape their own future. And so they became like the other nations, thinking that they could do this without God. They thought that their destiny was in their own hands. And that's a dangerous way to think. For we cannot mold our own destiny. We cannot be what we want to be, but we have to be what God wants us to be, also as a nation. And that also therefore counts to Judah. And that is why he sent a prophet like Jeremiah to warn them. For they were conducting themselves like the heathen nations. They did not act any different than the rest of the world. And that was very clear from all their dealings. Oh, sure, they worshipped the God of Israel. They made their sacrifices in the temple and they kept some of the important feasts. But they didn't really serve the Lord. They didn't put their trust in him. It wasn't from the heart. And that's also what Jeremiah complains about in chapter 16. We dealt with that chapter a few weeks ago. There he warns them against their horrible practice of serving the heathen gods as well, even sacrificing their children to them. And in chapter 17, just before this one, we see that Judah also engaged in other heathen practices. It says there that they no longer kept the Sabbath holy. People were greedy for gain. That's why they did business on the day of rest. They wanted to make as much money as they could. They didn't seek after God's blessings, but they wanted to bless themselves. Those were just some of the things they were doing. But if you're unfaithful in one thing, you're going to be unfaithful in all the other things as well. And then God sent them the prophet Jeremiah, but they didn't listen to him. Or they didn't listen to anybody else who came to them with God's word. They stubbornly went their own way. And so how now do you get the attention of such a people? How do you make them understand that what they are doing is wrong and destructive? How do you get them to listen? It's always quite a challenge, isn't it? It's not easy. You want to shake people up who are going in the wrong way so that they will know what they're doing wrong. But words often fail. And that is what happens, brothers and sisters, especially once you have firmly established yourself in your sin. Then you become deaf. And then the words from the wise no longer make any impact. Parents should be able to identify with that. There is no talking to a child who is bent on destruction. If anything, the more you say, the worse it gets. Elders have the same difficulty with speaking to those who are willfully on the wrong road. The elders can talk and plead and quote scripture and show compassion and understanding and pray and do whatever they can 
But once there is a hardening of hearts, it doesn't do any good, so it seems. And the farther someone is on the road of disobedience, the harder it becomes to make any impact at all. And the Lord God knows that. And so he tries to find ways to break through our thick skulls. And he has Jeremiah now try different approaches. And look at what he does in this case. He wants to teach the people by giving them an illustration from everyday life. Maybe that will wake him up. And so he sends Jeremiah to the pottery shop. He says to him, there I will give you my message. In other words, there I will give you a sermon illustration which will make it crystal clear exactly what I mean. Brothers and sisters, and especially the older members of the congregation will have heard many sermons in your life. Every week you hear two sermons, or at least you should if you can. And so many of you will have heard hundreds upon hundreds of sermons. Which ones do you remember the best? Is it not those who, that have illustrations from everyday life? Those are the ones who make impact. You remember those stories. Sermons that give you merely factual information often leave you cold. They're full of doctrinal truths, but they don't speak to you. They don't make a real impression. And the Lord God knows that about us. He knows how prone, how easily we are bored and how we don't listen. And so that is why he sends Jeremiah to that pottery shop to try a different approach. And once Jeremiah is at that pottery shop, he watches that potter at work. Pottery making, I'm told, is quite an art. And the way pottery makers do their work essentially hasn't changed much over the centuries. And they use clay for their material. In order for that clay to be useful for pottery, it needs to be carefully prepared. The first thing that a potter has to do is to remove all the stones from the clay. Once that is done, the clay is dumped in water to produce slurry. Any stones that are still left will settle at the bottom of the pit. And then the excess water is removed and the clay is allowed to mature for several days. Now it is ready for use. But to prepare the clay further, the clay has to be kneaded like dough for air has to be removed from the clay. For once the clay is fired and there is still air left in the clay, then that air will become like steam and crack the vessel. Anyway, Jeremiah is in the potter's shop to watch him fashion something out of the clay. And the potter will have sat before two parallel stone wheels joined by a shaft. He would turn the bottom of the wheel with his foot and thereby also turning the other wheel on the top. He would be turning at the same time. However, the potter on that particular day that Jeremiah was visiting, 
him was not having a very good day. The clay would not cooperate. It wasn't pliable enough. The text does not tell us what the problem was. It may be that either the clay was too thick or too thin, or it wasn't kneaded enough by his assistant. Whatever the case, the potter could not make the kind of vessel out of it as he would have liked. And so he made something else, something not as intricate, but nevertheless quite useful and marketable. As Jeremiah sees what the potter does, he realizes why the Lord God sent him there to that pottery shop. God is the potter, Israel is the clay. That is the message. And if the pot is spoiled, it is not the fault of the potter, but the fault of the clay. For the clay resists the hands of the potter. And that's what Israel was like, and that is what we all are like, what all people are like, you and I as well. We are clay in God's hands, but as clay, we have spoiled ourselves. We resist the hands of the potter. For look at the history of mankind. God has been shaping his people for a long time. It started in paradise. In the beginning, he created man. It says in Genesis 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. He went to work just like a potter did. And what he made was something absolutely beautiful. But what did man do? What did the clay do? Man spoiled himself. He resisted the hands of the potter. He sinned, and he became rotten to the core. Nevertheless, God did not reject the clay. He did not throw it out and start with something entirely new. No, he says, I still want to make something out of you. It is no longer as beautiful as I originally intended, but I can still do something. And from that original clay, he took a small lump. And that small lump was his people Israel. And he says, out of that lump, I'm going to still fashion something very pretty. I'm going to make a holy nation out of it. I want to adorn that nation as my beautiful bride. I want to make her desirable and irresistible so that all the other nations will be filled with jealousy and so that they too will want to be shaped by me. But what happened? Once again, they resisted the potter's hand. The clay was not satisfied with the image that God had created. They wanted to beautify themselves. They wanted to be in charge of their own destiny. And they wanted to shape themselves into something they wanted to be. And in so doing, Israel thwarted God's plan. She did not allow God to adorn her. She did not allow God to mold her and to decorate her as a potter decorates his pottery. For with the right kind of clay, a potter can make some gorgeous vases and plates. But if the clay is no good, his hands are tied. And that is the case with this nation Israel. But you may have a question here at this point, and you may say, well, is that really right? 
for in the final analysis, isn't, all, isn't it all God's fault? For he is the one who, correct, who selected the clay, and he is the one who prepared it, and he is the one who molded it. Can God find fault with the clay? But now look at what purpose God had in mind when he created with what he made. The purpose that God had in mind for his creation was that all of creation would glorify him. That is why we are put here on this earth. Man would even be the crown of his creation. And he made man his covenant partner. He would have fellowship with him. But he wanted man to commune with him out of his own free will. In other words, he gave power to the clay. Indeed, also, that is what God says elsewhere in his word. We read together from Romans 9, verse 17, where Paul quotes what God said. He said, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's what he said to Pharaoh. And that's what he says to all men. He says that to you and to me. He gave his power to Pharaoh and he gives his power to all men. For the truth of the matter is that man cannot do anything without him. All power comes from God. And God wants us to use the power that he gives us for his glory. But then we may not complain to the molder that he did something wrong. In the first place, we are not in any position to do that. For the potter has the right to do with the clay whatever he wants. He is accountable to no one. In the second place, we have to keep in mind that God is not only a mighty God, he is also a perfect God, a God of love. We may not second guess him. He knows the kind of shape we ought to be in. Only he knows what is truly beautiful and what is not. And therefore, you have to allow God to work within us and through us. But that's not what mankind wants. Because man does not want to acknowledge God as the creator and as the molder of life. They think that they have to shape their own lives and their own society. And they don't want to put God into the picture. And that's why nowadays you hear people speak about human rights. They insist on their rights, the right to freedom, the right to protest, the right to do what they want in their bedrooms, to do what they want with their own lives, to do what they want with the lives of others, especially unborn babies. But what they forget about is the rights of God. He has the absolute authority over all creation. He has the right to demand from his creatures whatever he wishes. He wants man to serve him. The problem, however, is that the clay has been ruined. And that's very sad, isn't it? We come to the second point. Look at how the clay has been ruined. Jeremiah is well aware of that. He says in the previous chapter, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Israel and Judah were totally corrupt. And that is why they 
blamed God for the precarious situation that they found themselves in. Even though they insisted on shaping their own destiny and on doing whatever they wanted, they nevertheless blamed God when anything went wrong. And that's because they did not want to recognize that God had total claim on them. Judah had no right to complain about its destiny because their destiny, our destiny, brothers and sisters, is always in God's hands. And God knows what is best. And he will correct us, reshape us when he has to. prophet Isaiah wrote the same thing. He wrote in Isaiah 45 verse 9, Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a pot shirt among the pot shirts on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? The pottery claims that the potter has no hands. In other words, he has no power over them. How ridiculous. He has no right to do with them what he wants. How terribly sinful. They themselves sinned, but they gave God the blame when things went wrong. They gave God the blame for their sinful condition. They gave God the blame for their imperfections. They looked at what was happening around them and the disaster that was about to come upon them and everything else, and they blamed God for it. Are we any different? Do we not do the same thing? Before you say that we do not do that, think again. Let me ask you. Are you satisfied with who you are? Are you satisfied with your life? Or are you disappointed? Disappointed in the way things are going. Disappointed, for example, that you don't make more money. Or disappointed that your children don't obey you or disappointed about all the other things in life, about your looks perhaps. Young people especially have difficulty accepting who they are physically or otherwise. They find all kinds of fault. They look in the mirror and they complain to themselves that their noses are too big or their faces are too fat or too skinny or they're not tall enough, or too tall. They always, wish they, want to be somebody, they always wish to be somebody else. We're not any different. Some wish that they had more money, or more brains, or the looks of their neighbor, or that they had more money, or the house of their neighbor. In other words, they want to be somebody else or somewhere else. They don't want to be person to be the person that they are or to be in the circumstances that they are. Dissatisfaction. But do you know who the only one is that can change you and your circumstances? God. Oh, sure, we have to constantly try to do things about the shape we're in, But ultimately, he is the only one who can change and shape your life. Who is the one who is in charge of all things, brothers and sisters? 
boys and girls. Isn't that the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth? Ultimately, he is the only one who can make you a beauty, a vessel of beauty, and a vessel of usefulness. And what God thinks is beautiful, you may think is ugly. You may think that you don't have the talents or the looks or the financial means or the abilities to make you a beautiful person, but God thinks otherwise because he looks for the beauty of the inner person. He looks for the beauty of a person who serves him, someone who gives his lives, who gives his life for others, who gives his life for God. He looks for someone who wants to keep his commandments out of thankfulness, out of thankfulness for the covenant relationship that he has established through his son, Jesus Christ. And then you become a beautiful person. And then you have also wonderful circumstances, no matter what. Let me ask you, do you dare question your maker? Look at how he wants you to change. And don't question God and his will. What did he give you to shape your life and your destiny? Well, he gave you his laws for your conduct. He gave them for you. For he knows that it is as your maker what is best for you. He knows how and by what means to put your life in shape. But does man keep his commandments? We think that we know better, don't we? And so we compromise, we rationalize, and we do what we want. And in this way, we also question our maker. And therefore, by nature, we are not any different from Judah and Israel. They thought that they knew better than God. They thought that they could compromise with the world and do like them. Let's serve their gods as well as, their, as ours. That doesn't do any harm. Let's do business on the Sabbath. After all, God doesn't want us to starve, does he? And so they rationalize and they know better than their maker. Do you see how the condition of the clay has been spoiled? And you may say, well, that's all due to sin. We can no longer help ourselves. Because of sin, we have become ugly, incompetent, and spoiled. And that's true. But now, look at what a, bot what a potter does and says. He takes what is spoiled and wants to reshape it so that it can have, once again, useful purpose. What does he do with Judah? He says in verse 11 that he wants to prepare a disaster against Judah. It says literally that he wants to shape evil against Judah. Why? So that it become even more ugly? No, of course not. At least that's not what the end purpose is. He will shape evil against Judah so that Judah will look in the mirror and see her own sins and repent. He wants Judah to see from what she has fallen. And the purpose is that Judah will once again turn back to God. 
for only he can reshape her. God can only make a vessel of beauty out of her, which is exactly what he wants to do. That was his original plan in the first place. And that is the same thing about our lives, brothers and sisters. God wants you and me to be vessels of beauty. And that is why he disciplines us and warns us and prunes us. For the Lord God is a merciful God. He wants us to be an object of beauty. We come to the third point. Do you know what happened on Golgotha? Of course you do. But let me remind you. Isaiah 53 describes it graphically. It says about the suffering servant, about Christ. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Of course, refers to the Son of God. He became ugly. Men would turn their faces away from him. For there he hung on a cross, blood coming from his wounds. He was made to be a curse. Man could not stand him. They spat upon him. They ridiculed him. They made him an object of derision. He was stripped of any glory that he ever had. But brothers and sisters, what did he become? He became an object of beauty. For he conquered death and did away with all the stench and ugliness and sorrow and pain that is associated with it. And now he is seated at the right hand of God full of glory, full of beauty, and full of majesty. Why did all this happen? And brothers and sisters, this happened so that you and I can also become vessels of beauty. The Lord Jesus Christ, he kept the law to perfection so that he could have glory for himself and for all those who belong to him so that we can also be vessels of beauty, the kind of shape that God wanted us to be in in the first place. And do you know why God sometimes shapes evil, that is, prepares a disaster against us? Not because he wants the evil, on the contrary, but he does want to use it, just like he did for the Lord Jesus. He does want to use it so that we too in the evil days, turn to God and allow him to shape our lives. Brothers and sisters, we can all look at our lives and see how marred our lives are. Look at us. Look at the miserable specimens we are. But don't blame your maker. Don't blame anyone else either nor your circumstances. No, look at ourselves and realize that this is only because of our own sin. It is not because that is how God wants us to be. On the contrary, 
No, God wants to use the evil that is within us and among us, and he wants to turn it into something absolutely beautiful. And that is the kind of vision you and I have to have about our lives and about ourselves. And that is why now we may not grumble. For who are we? Well, brothers and sisters, in spite of our sins, in spite of our ugliness, we are already a thing of beauty to the Lord our God. He made us that way. He recreated that, us in his son's image. For he is not only our creator, but also our recreator. And he recreates us through his Holy Spirit. But now you and I should also be clay. And what are we to be like as clay in God's hands? Well, clay has to be soft and pliable. Shouldn't be hard like rock or thin like water. With such material, you can't shape anything. If we are hard as rock, then the Lord God will also dash us to pieces. For an ugly vessel that no longer can be shaped isn't worth anything, is it? It could no longer fulfill its purpose. How does God want to shape us? Well, he tells us what we must do to keep in shape. He tells us that we must keep his commandments. We must trust in him. We must listen to him and allow him to be busy in our lives. He wants us to be like putty in his hands. We may not resist him. That is what Judah did, and that is why they were sent into exile, so that they could become the kind of clay they ought to be. But if we also resist God, then it will not be well with us either, just like what happened to Judah and Israel. Then disaster will come upon us. For he has a certain purpose in mind. He wants us to be an object of beauty in his hands so that we as those objects can bring glory to his name. And that is why we have to repent from our sins daily. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, how malleable are you? Do you allow the potter to work you like clay? Or are you as hard as rock or as slippery as water? Do you want to be an object of exquisite beauty? Be then like clay in God's hands. Allow him to knead you like dough so that the hot air will not crack you. And do you know what happens when you allow him to work in your life like that? Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 21, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do good works. Paul is speaking here not only about what we will be on earth, but also what we will be in the life hereafter. Do you know what they called that field that the Pharisees bought with the silver pieces, Judas returned after his betrayal of the Lord Jesus? They called it, as it says in Matthew 27, verse 8, the field of blood. This is where they would bury the strangers from then on in. That field was bought with blood money. Christ had to shed his blood for it. Do you know what it was called before then? 
It was called the potter's field. Isn't that interesting? It's on the potter's field, then, that we are reshaped into new beings. For this potter, who was buried in that potter's field, rose again. And he is now a most wonderful potter. He shed his blood so that he might go into that field and take those broken pieces of pottery and put them together again and to make a vessel of beauty out of them, an incorruptible vessel. Do you know and do you see what a beautiful object you are and will become if you allow him to work like clay? Do you see what a powerful and creative God you have? Go to him, brothers and sisters, and let him work in your lives all your days. Let his loving hands make you too a vessel of beauty, always glorifying his maker. Amen.